right. Well, good morning. Uh, just as a reminder, or perhaps if, if you weren't with us last week, my name is, uh, is Wes Calton. I am uh, the campus minister for RUF at Kennesaw State. And so it's a joy to get to come back with you and uh, share God's word with you again. Um, as I get to do on the campus, as some of you know, some of you maybe don't know, I get to preach, really, weekly on the college campus uh, through our ministry, through our, our weekly gathering. Uh, and I get to preach in a lot of our churches as well, but I don't often get to preach consecutive weeks at the same church. And so it really is sweet for me, and, and I hope it is for you as well, especially since we're going to be in the, the next part of the passage we were in last week. So if you have your Bibles with you or a Bible app or however you prefer to follow along, if you could open up to Ephesians chapter 4. We're going to look at the next section um, following what we looked at together last week. Um, I'm going to read that for us as we begin our time together in God's Word. And then I'm going to invite you to join me in prayer that God would bless our time together in his word. So starting in verse 7, Ephesians chapter 4. But grace was given to each one of us according to the measure of Christ's gift. Therefore it says, when he ascended on high, he let a host of captives, and he gave gifts to men. In saying he ascended, what does it mean but that he also had also descended into the lower regions of the earth? He who descended is the one who ascended far above all the heavens, that he might fill all things. And he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds and teachers to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for building up the body of Christ, until we all attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God to mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, so that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness and deceitful schemes, rather speaking the truth in love. We are to grow up in every way into him who is the head, into Christ, from whom the whole body joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped, when each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. Would y'all pray with me? Gracious Father, uh, we thank you for another morning to gather in your name and to worship. Um, Father, we know that this is sacred ground that we stand on, not because of anything we have done or built, but because you are a God who delights in the gathering of his saints, who smiles upon us in the grace of Jesus. And so, Father, as we seek to continue worshiping you by giving ear to your word, would you be active among us by your spirit to apply that word? Father, we take comfort that you know each of our stories. You know where we are coming from. You know the fears and struggles and idols of our hearts. And so, God, would you meet each of us where we are and help us to see that the beauty of your plan in Jesus, even as it is at times challenging and even terrifying, to see the ways in which you plan to work through us, your people. God, we thank you for this time and ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, if you were with us last week, then, then you know that Paul began the passage just before the one we read this morning, uh, talking about the need to pursue unity and, and a, even a tenderness towards one another that reflects the tenderness and the mercy that Jesus has already shown us 
in the gospel. That this really is the first step that we take when we think of the idea of what does it mean to walk worthy of the gospel. To move towards one another in Christ and begin to reflect the way that Jesus has dealt with us. It echoes Paul's teaching in other parts of his writings. Uh, where Paul would encourage us to, to believe and see that we could have all sorts of knowledge and wisdom and even spiritual gifts, but if we have not love, we have nothing at all. It fits perfectly with Jesus' teaching to his disciples that they first and foremost will be known as his followers because of their love for one another. And Jesus' central teaching about his forgiveness, that if they claim to have his forgiveness in their hearts, they cannot withhold forgiveness from anyone. In all of these ways, Jesus and Paul and all of the saints are encouraging us towards a view of the gospel where we reflect God's mercy and grace towards us in the way that we deal with each other. And that is the context for the passage before us this morning, starting in verse 7. When uh, we moved down to Georgia, uh, we were excited about our new home. Uh, It it was a little more suburban than where we were before. Uh, Believe it or not, we lived truly in the middle of nowhere uh, on the South Carolina, yeah, South Carolina, North Carolina border. Uh, one of our neighbors was actually a squatter, um, kind, kind folks, but they were upset that the state line had been moved so that they were no longer on the state line. Uh, but we, we had a garden. We, we were renting a house. It was an old farmhouse and had a, a lot of space. And I don't really have a green thumb, uh, but my Meemaw and my Uncle Greg uh, grew up farmers and They knew everything I needed to know from the almanac, and they came and helped me have a large garden. I was supplying people at seminary with all sorts of heirloom tomatoes and whatnot. So we moved down here, and we thought, you know what, we'll we'll have a garden. Uh, We're in the suburbs, so we probably need to do some sort of raised bed garden. Uh, We we got good soil. We we planted everything. I'm still calling my mom and asking her what the almanac said for this year. But not much grew because, wouldn't you know it, you need sunlight. (laughs) (laughs) you can have the best soil, you can have the best timing, you can hand pull every weed you want to. If you don't have enough sunlight, not much is going to happen. Um, And so our yard was just covered in trees. We lacked that key ingredient. And I I would argue that, that for us as followers of Jesus, the key ingredient for us is the light of Jesus' grace. When we say that the context for this passage is the need to reflect God's mercy in our lives, it's the belief that, that without God's grace and mercy, everything else, any discussion of gifts, teaching, growing, would be pointless. And so I hope that for you, even as we move through this passage and we maybe talk about some specifics of serving and growing in Christ and even things like offices in the church. Don't get too nervous. Uh, that we will keep in mind the sunlight of God's grace that is so necessary for growth. And I hope what we'll see this morning is that a community that seeks unity in Christ is not simply going to be a faceless mass where we all just try and look as much like the other as possible, but actually in Jesus we can celebrate and pursue a diversity of gifts. That one of the things King Jesus has done for his people as they seek to live in unity together is he has gifted his community with a diverse array of gifts and people and stories. And that's good news for us this morning. The first thing for us to do, though, I think, is to embrace the reality 
of this gifting. If you look at verses 7 through 10, there's a little bit of a shift in this passage. He's just completed this this wonderful uh, sentence of ones, right? He's reminded us that all of this unity and this tenderness towards one another is ultimately a reflection of our, our one Lord, our one faith, our one baptism, our one God and Father. But we're met with a but in verse 7. But grace was given to each one of us. And so the reality of our, our union with Christ and the unity that brings us does not negate our being uniquely created and even gifted in Jesus Christ for different tasks. Paul brings up this idea that is important in his writing, that each of us has a unique gift and a unique measure of gift from Christ. Um, We're not to to seek to try and all be the same. And yet I think this is a, a profound idea for us if we really were to grasp it and believe it and practice it. How much different might our communities look if we believed that a diversity of individuals and giftings really was part of God's plan for our lives? How much differently might we pursue one another if I believed that the ascended and risen Lord Jesus has given gifts to you, his people, that I don't possess? Uh, Gifts that, that your neighbor possesses that you don't possess? That Jesus, in his wisdom and grace, like I said, a little bit to our terror, has chosen to work through us. And I think Paul seeks to encourage us to really land on the, ask, the idea that Jesus himself is the giver because he quotes Psalm 68 for us in this passage, but he tweaks it a little bit, and, it, and it's a significant way that he, he tweaks it. And I think it's because he sees Jesus as the fulfiller of Psalm 68. Psalm 68 reads, verse 18, You ascended on high, leading a host of captives in your train, and receiving gifts among men, even among the rebellious, that the Lord God may dwell there. And so the psalmist has this vision of Yahweh himself ascending on high in victory over their enemies and having secured gifts. But what Paul does in this passage is he says, yes, Jesus is the one who has descended down to the earth and in victory has ascended and shown his victory over death, but he is not a greedy king who keeps gifts for himself, he says, of course, in acquiring these gifts, he has taken them so that he can give them. In other words, you and I are to imagine Jesus sitting on his throne, not in comfort, simply enjoying his victory, but now delightfully giving gifts to us. We serve a king who delights in gifting his people with exactly what they need in order to follow him. It's a similar idea Paul articulates in in 1 Corinthians when he says that there are varieties of service but the same Lord and there are varieties of activities but it's the same God who empowers them all and everyone. This is such an important thought in, in Paul's writing that, that we are meant to work together not just out of pragmatism. Uh, I know this is SEC country so college football kind of reigns supreme here but perhaps with Clemson's conquering of the SEC uh, we should talk about another sport Um, I grew up in a family that was was really big Duke basketball fans. My dad went to Duke. Um, And one of the things that Coach K, one of the greatest basketball coaches ever, frequently tells his team um, is this idea of of working together as a team is much like trying to strike with a closed fist versus an open hand. And that when all of the different members of the team are embracing their roles and accepting 
really their gifts, right? That this player is better at this and I'm better at this and playing together. It's like the strength of a hand that's closed together in a fist. And the reason that that came to mind for me as I was thinking about this passage is if even in common grace insight, the world can see working together is often more effective and powerful than going at it alone. How much more when we see Paul telling us about the gifting of Jesus in, in our community should we believe in the beauty of God's people working together? Behold how good a thing it is and how becoming well when brethren dwell in unity. The psalmist goes on in Psalm 133 to say that that is where God has commanded his blessing, even life forevermore. We are called to work together, not ultimately because it's just a practical thing to do, but because we believe Jesus is at work among his people and is even gifting his people. And so I should be interested in getting to know my neighbor, not just to try and grow our numbers or to check something off a list of of Christian virtues, but because I, I believe that Jesus is at work through my neighbor, especially when I believe that they are indwelled by the Holy Spirit himself. How this this should even shape the way we we approach parenting and families as I think about my children and raising them in the Lord that, that yes, I have a primary responsibility as their parent, but in a covenant community, I have to believe that my children need not just my own holiness, but but yours as well. Those of God's people that, that we need to be living in together. When we do outreach, believing that, yes, some have the gift of gathering. That's something I'm I'm always aware of on the college campus, especially at KSU, which can be a little more difficult sometimes to gather students than a traditional college campus, that that we need people on our group that have a gifting of of being a gatherer. And sometimes I'll I'll even uh, find students that are more introverted and and afraid or ashamed of of their lack of extroversion or their abilities to gather people and say, it's okay, like, we've got so-and-so over here. We need someone that'll sit down and listen. And that's where you come in, right? That we need each other. And we need to be thinking about how we could better serve Jesus and our community and and one another by being aware of that. Uh, How might I need to connect someone else within the body to someone else? Because I know in humility, this is not a gift I have. This is a thought that I think really could shape a lot of the way that we approach our lives in Christ. Because ultimately, the, the gifting of Jesus is so that we might be equipped that we might be equipped. As you look at the next section of this passage, I hope that you're a little bit surprised by what Paul says next. I love, I love going to this passage with students, especially if we're having a discussion about the church. And I, I want to maybe challenge some of their thoughts about the church and the necessity of the church. Because if, if I were to ask you, and especially if I were to ask students, what are the gifts of Jesus? Uh, if we've grown up in the church we're familiar with anything of the Bible in the South, we probably would say something like spiritual gifts. We might talk about the fruit of the Spirit. Uh, And and those wouldn't be bad answers. Those would be good biblical answers. But notice the specific example of gifts that Paul puts in this passage. After saying that Jesus ascended on high and gives gifts, in verse 11 he says, and he gave. You might ask the question, well, what did he give, Paul? The apostles. The prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds and teachers, he lists offices, (laughs) offices of the church, some of which uh, we would argue, and I think Paul would as well, that have been completed and fulfilled in Christ. We could go back to chapter 2 and see where Paul talks about this 
apostolic foundation that has been laid. Every time we gather on Sunday mornings and we seek to submit to God's word, we are experiencing the gift of Jesus' apostles and prophets, a God who speaks to us and loves us. But we also are beneficiaries of the evangelists that, that Jesus has given the church to help grow the church and expand it. People that perhaps even in our lives have a particular gift in that or have even been placed in an office of that to help plant the church or reach um, a place. If someone's at all familiar with our church government and they're trying to figure out what exactly my job is, which is a good question. Sometimes I'm wondering it as well. Uh, sometimes an evangelist is a way that I can kind of help explain it. This idea that our presbytery has laid hands on me and set me apart to go be an, an arm or a hand of the church reaching out to the campus, not trying to take the place of the local church, but being sent to, to gather students in the name of Christ and equip students. Um, kind of ultimately playing off that, 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 that idea that comes from our confession itself, the idea that we are here for the, the gathering and the perfecting of the saints. But the thing for us this morning, especially for this church in the, the transition that it is in currently, I want us to focus especially on this idea that he has given shepherds and teachers for this equipping. Shepherds and teachers. Uh, he's ultimately speaking of the, the office of elder. Um, there's lots of places we could go to make this point, but especially since we're in Ephesians, it might be beneficial for us to just quickly see some of the words Paul has in Acts chapter 20 when he addresses the Ephesian elders. Um, and it's a sweet, sweet place in Scripture because uh, Paul knows that he probably won't see them again. I don't know why I'm getting so emotional about that, but uh, it's, it's also an excellent place for us to go and see the way that, that Paul uses these, these special words interchangeably to speak of this office. He says in verse 17, uh, Now from Miletus he sent to Ephesus and called the elders of the church to come to him. Probably many of the people that he's writing to even now. And then in verse 28, Pay careful attention to yourselves and to all the flock, invoking the imagery of shepherding and sheep, in which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers, episkopos, from which we get bishop. We don't use that word much around here. To care for the church of God, the, the, the verb from which we get pastor or shepherd, which he obtained with his own blood. And so in his final sermon, his address to, and encouragement to the Ephesian elders, he interchangeably uses these words for, for elder, pastor, overseer. And the thing for us to see in that, ultimately in that and to see here in Ephesians is that for Paul, there are men that, that Jesus has especially set apart to help shepherd God's people as we seek to grow. And so if you're a visitor and you're wondering, what are all these, these titles and offices? What are these names? I think I heard some weird non-English words mentioned. The thing for you to see and for all of us to see is that the leadership of the church ultimately is not uh, first and foremost organizational or financial or, or even practical for that matter. It is pastoral, that all elders are called to be shepherds, and we are called to, to seek that out. And even if we're to follow Paul's logic along here, see that as a gift from Jesus. To see that part of his ascension gift from on high to his church that he has set apart under shepherds to work under the great shepherd. And that, that that purpose is always one of a ministry of word and prayer and spiritual care. 
and an authority that only ever comes from Jesus as the head of the church. And so for you this morning, if, if you are an, an elder, I hope this is a humbling and terrifying passage that King Jesus has seen fit to call you to shepherd his people. And the, the admonition he gives, especially in his address in Acts chapter 20, to, to take care of yourself, that in order to shepherd the flock well, we ourselves, as a, the pastor William Still, or as my professor uh, Dr. Kelly would say, because he knew him well, Willie, <laughs> it's just funny to quote such a, a saint of the church in such a way, but Pastor Willie Still would say that in order to, be, to feed the flock of God, we must be fed men, as he addresses the elders. And it's a thought for all of us that we must be growing in the grace of Jesus if we are to point others to that fount of mercy. And that for all of those who, who don't find themselves in that office, it's not a call to, to sit back and relax. <laughs> so we'll get to work, pastors. But instead, to seek to encourage them and ask that question, how might I help God's gift bear fruit in this church? How might I pray for and encourage uh, we know that the, the office of deacon has a special role to play as well in serving the physical needs of the church and especially watching out for the sick and the marginalized so that the elders would have better space to pay attention to the ministry of the word as we see even in the early church in Acts chapter 6. But I think oftentimes we, if we don't see the gifting of Jesus in the offices of the church and seek to, to honor those offices and grow through those things we're depriving ourselves of tools that jesus has given us and my father-in-law loved to say that the old cliche you know the, the right tool for the job makes all the difference as he taught me how to fix many things that i didn't know how to fix and uh it, it really is true isn't it if you've ever tried to do something without the right tool <laughs> uh it could make a very simple task take quite a long time and when we either as elders downplay or neglect or turn this office into something other than shepherding first and foremost, or we as God's people do not celebrate and seek to submit to this, these offices, we're actually depriving ourselves of a tool Jesus has given us for our growth and our good. Because as we move to verse 12, regardless of, there's different ways you could translate this verse to emphasize either the, the equipping and the ministry that the offices have been called to or to emphasize the work the body has to do. But I, I love how several people have pointed out if we put too much emphasis into how that's translated, we kind of miss the point because at the end of the day, we're all called to be part of this body that is working together to grow up into Christ who is our head. And so Jesus has given these gifts and he's given these offices specifically that we might grow that we might ask questions. And once again, if you're a visitor here or you're someone who hasn't joined, there might be different questions you might ask of a church as a result of this passage. There's so many things we might ask when looking for a church, but maybe how might I be shepherded here would be a healthy question to ask. What would it look like for me to grow up into Christ in this community? And how might I serve where Jesus has placed me? Those maybe are already on your finding a church list, but, but if they're not, I think they would be worthy of, of placing there. 
But ultimately, as we celebrate the gifting of Jesus and being equipped, we might ask the question, well, what exactly does this gifted and equipped community look like? What are, if we're being equipped, to what end, right? If we're growing, what does that growth look like? What are the goals? And, and this passage sets before us finally, I think, the goal of loving maturity. Loving maturity. If you look, especially starting in verse 13, Paul starts to, to lay out before us what he hopes the church will look like as Jesus works through his gifts and as, as his saints equip one another and build one another up into Christ. And it's this, once again, unity of the faith. He hasn't moved on from this idea of the importance of unity, but it's not just unity for unity's sake. It's unity of the faith. Uh, many people might argue that here he's using the faith as a, as a representative word for our beliefs. Um, our, our common confession of who Christ is and what he has done for his people. And so this idea that we have unity in the core of the gospel itself, but in addition to unity here, he adds this, this picture of mature manhood to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. Right, That last part especially points to the idea that this is not something we ever complete in this life. Uh, if, if you're sitting here, regardless of your age, your gifting, your time in the faith, I can assure you, you have not yet reached the fullness of the stature of Christ. If you think you have, we need to have some other conversations going back to the basics of the gospel and who Jesus is. And so the church, in Paul's eyes, is this, this community that is always seeking to grow closer unto the image of Jesus. And it's an idea of maturity, but it's not a cold maturity it's not simply something we can measure in doctrinal knowledge, although doctrine is very important, as he mentions in verse 14. But it's one that is always shaped by love. Ultimately, our hope in not being tossed about uh, by every wave or wind of doctrine is so that we might be better equipped to speak the truth in love to one another. So that as we suffer, as we struggle with sin we in Christ might be better and better equipped to walk alongside one another and hold the cross before each other and care for each other. Not simply to say the right thing, but to say the truth of the gospel in a way that shows we care about the people God has placed around us. I think this is certainly something that, that I struggled with earlier in life, and I think my, my personality lends, tends toward this struggle of simply equating truth with love, simply equating saying the right thing with the thing that needs to be said, and not aiming for the, the higher calling of speaking truth and love. Paul has in mind that we would be equipped in such a way that we would work together. Um, one of the things I enjoy doing with our children, uh, especially you know, before a large group um, on campus or if I'm going to get to go preach at a church, is our family worship, looking at the passage that I'm going to look at together, and oftentimes they, they might help me out with an insight. Uh, Jesus is at work there as well. But it was sweet last night just to have this simple image here to help understand what Paul is talking about, of this idea of the body working together, right? I've got little boys, so as soon as I say, like, how, how is God at work with uh, your body part? How does it work? You know, how does your arm move? Of course, the first answer is muscles. I have muscles. My muscles are big and strong. It's like, yes. That's good. You have things other than muscles that are part of the equation too. You have joints and tendons and all of these things God has given your body so that it can work together. 
And that is the picture we're to have of growth in the Christian life. That we have a unity in Christ and an utter dependence on each other so that we cannot begin to talk about maturity without talking about community. Because we are dependent on each other. If you will, uh, we are all kind of gangly kids running around with poor coordination unless Jesus is at work in and through not just us as individuals, but his community. I'm coaching upper basketball right now, so it's very easy for me to imagine gangly, uncoordinated bodies flailing around and balls bouncing everywhere and off people's heads. That's not, that's not Paul's hope for the church here, is it? <laughs> that we would be an uncoordinated body where the foot doesn't know what the hand's doing and we can't quite stand up straight. No, he has this picture of a, a lovely and a beautiful orthodoxy, a growth in truth that cares about the growth of those around us. I love how, in several ways, this passage is bookended by love in Christ. Um, starting in verse 15, the final section of, this, of, of the passage we're looking at, in verse 15, he begins this, with this idea of rather speaking the truth in love, and then finally at the end of verse 16, building itself up in love. But going back to our passage last week, we were also reminded of the importance of love as in many ways he defined for us what love looks like as we walk worthy of the gospel in the way we treat each other, bearing with one another, in verse 2, in love. And so in many ways, Paul uh, completes this section of his letter with the thought of God's people working together in love. That, I think, is, is ultimately where we must go if we're to glorify God and enjoy him as each of us have the calling. And in Christ, that begins with the way we begin to love one another as his body. Because Jesus is at work among his people. All of this is rooted in the foundation of the gospel. All of this is rooted in Christ, the head from whom all of the life flows this is never a discussion in which community takes the place of Jesus, but rather it's his servant. Would you pray with me? Gracious Father, uh, we thank you once again that you are a God who speaks, who speaks to your people. Um, and we just ask that you would be at work to help us see and understand what it looks like for us as your people to move toward one another in the gospel, to offer forgiveness and mercy toward one another, to be equipped by all of the elders and shepherds you've given. Father, forgive us for ever looking to someone else to, to, to change us and, and to think that we are not part of it. God, would you help this church to grow into Christ, to grow as a community, to be more and more known as a place of tender shepherding and gentle and patient love and firm yet gracious standing in the truth of our Lord and Savior. God, we thank you that you are a gracious God. We thank you that we serve a generous king who gives gifts. We ask all these things in his name.
Amen.